Similar to a well-tuned automobile, a guitar requires the same level of attention to perform at its very best. No matter how expensive your guitar may be, we will treat you and your instrument with the utmost respect. Call 920-723-1733 or visit jeffsguitar.com. When you're looking for a new computer or need help with one you already own, call 231-8000 and Madison Computerworks will get things up and running for you. Madison Computerworks, computers that work for you. Welcome back to SliceOffice.com. We are at Labor Fest 2023. What an interesting year. Joining us now, a stalwart in the labor movement in yeah. Wisconsin. It would be John Harrison Nichols from the Capital Times and the Nation. Brother, solidarity. Solidarity, brother, and uh, we've made it to another Labor Day. How do you feel today? I feel excellent, um, you know, for a whole bunch of reasons, but I think you're obviously asking about uh, in a labor and worker rights mm-hmm. context, and and I'll tell you why. Uh, I, I, unlike a lot of pundits and political folks who say, oh, I don't follow the polls, I follow the polls closely. I take them seriously. And uh, we are still in the midst of a... 20-year cycle of dramatic improvement in support for labor rights. Today, according to the latest Gallup poll, came out on Friday, 67% of Americans, two-thirds of Americans, now favor unions over corporations. They, they have a positive view of unions in that context, but this is in the beginning of it. 75% of Americans say that if the UAW goes on strike against the big three automakers, they support the UAW. 72% say that if uh, the actors and writers in Hollywood continue to strike, they are going to support them in that struggle. Uh, you just go down the line. The level of support for unions is through the roof. And then here's the final thing I'll throw you. Uh, in this poll put out by the AFL uh, just on Friday, they polled people generationally. They said, well, you know, different age groups, the under 30 40s, 50s, 60s, right? Um, People under the age of uh, 30 have an 88% support for unions. That's across all ideologies and across all partisanship, right? 88%. That's like bigger, Sly, that's bigger than the support for water or air. Well, it it obviously explains the fact that President Biden quite openly advocates for unions. I mean, when when's the last time we had a president who did that? Well, actually, the weird thing about it is um, we have had presidents who do it. The question is whether they do anything in addition to it, right? Do right. they say it or do they actually do something about it? And I don't remember Barack Obama. Did he put those walking shoes, those union shoes they on? They were boots and he didn't go on. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Obama was way, way better than Clinton, right? Right. And, and Clinton and Obama were at least moderately better than Carter. Right. He was horrible right. on a lot of these issues. Right. And, and so... He, he isn't now. He's good on him now. He's great on him now. <laughs> but if you go back and you look at this whole history, what you're going to find is um, that, weirdly enough, and I, I keep hearing people say, well, you know, Biden's the most pro-labor president in history. He's not. Um, because the measure of a pro-labor president is, do you see rising union membership? And we haven't gotten anywhere near where we had on FDR. That's not to pick on Biden. It's to say FDR came in with, with big Democratic majorities. He was able to do a lot more. Right. But it is to say that's what we should aspire to. We shouldn't say, we shouldn't say Biden's the best in history. Well, the, we should say he aspires to it, and we want to make sure that he can get there. The other sad thing that's happened, um, 
it, it, it happened before NAFTA or GATT or any of these other favorite trading status for China. Yeah. Is they diffuse the workforce. You know, you know, the, the, when they started closing plants in big cities, you know, you take Lordstown. Which is in a wild journey right now. Right. They didn't build that plant in Cleveland specifically because they didn't want union density, right? They, yep. they put plants out in the middle of nowhere, yep. right? Because yep. they didn't want all the subsidiary plants to unionize That's in some right. cases. And right? they got a weird twist with your Lordstown. Lordstown being in northeast Ohio. They put it out there in the country because they thought they wouldn't get as many, uh, many big pro-union folks. Turned out that they opened it right at the time where all the Vietnam vets were coming back into... Uh, coming back into the workforce, right? And all those Vietnam vets wanted a union. And so they ended up with the most militant unions in the country at Lordstown. And they went out and did organize around it. Um, and of course, then the company ultimately closed Lordstown. It's coming back now. And with the good news, you asked me if I'm optimistic. The good news is that um, at Lordstown, they're unionizing as a now a battery production plant. Do you think that uh, Senator Sherrod Brown can survive this next year no, and so get now, reelected? Now you're getting us into the politics of all this, yeah, right? Well, I mean, because that's well, what you it's do all need about. labor champions in the Senate. We desperately need them. And here's where we get to. This gets you back to that core question about Biden. Look, here's the bottom line. Joe Biden, on balance, would like to be the most pro-labor president in American history. He'd like to be the most successful pro-labor president in American history. I have no doubt of that. Why wouldn't he? He's been running with Labor's endorsement, you know, since the 1970s uh, and generally followed their line, except on trade, uh, where he was a little weak. But and, but he's generally and he's improved good. on that. He has. Yeah. So I don't have any doubt that he would like to do it. It's a great historical legacy. It's also politically very, very attractive. But he can't do that unless he's got um, a substantially more pro-labor Senate and House. This is a big deal. And right now in the United States Senate, you've got you know, 48 roughly pro-labor Democrats and Lisa Murkowski, who is a pro-labor Republican. She actually votes good on this stuff. In the House, you've got... A lot of Republican union members in Alaska. Oh, tons. Yeah. You also, in the House, you've got about, you know, 210, you know, pro-labor Democrats and about five or six pro-labor Republicans. You got to add about, in the House, you got to add about 15 to 20 onto that. In the Senate, you need to add, you know, at least three or four because there's there's wavering ones in there. So 2024 becomes the year where all this gets decided. America wants strong unions. There's no question. The polls are incredible. What you need to do is a reelect those pro labor champions, people like Sherrod Brown, who's running in Ohio, and it's a tough state. It's a Trump state, but I think Sherrod will pull it off because he's always been able to pull a portion of labor, you know, on a personal vote toward him because he's so good on the issues. Uh, but you also got to also have to keep Tester in uh, uh, up in Montana, who's also pretty pro labor, and and a variety of other folks. And then you got to win a seat or so, and that's a Ted Cruz. Yeah, that's the one you got to win. <laughs> no, if I can't emphasize to you, if Beto O'Rourke had gotten another, you know, one and a half percent of the vote in 2018, um, this would all be a very different game right now. Because they would have... And if, if Mandela Barnes had gotten another 30,000 votes. Absolutely. Right? And that's, that's what we have to think about. Labor's circumstance right now is a tough one. Because we've been talking about this rise in support for labor, the rise in enthusiasm. You can see it here. There's crowds of people around. And yet the barriers to labor organizing and to getting that first contract are so severe, even with some of the good recent rulings by the NLRB, that um, 
labor union membership in Biden's first year went down as a percentage of, of the population, not up. Now that's absurd. People desperately want unions. There's organizing going on all over the place, but look at what Amazon's doing. Look at what um, Starbucks are doing. People are signing up, they're, they're voting for unions left and right, and yet no contracts, no, no progress, no actual realization. Well, and, and I think about this every time I drive down I-90 in Illinois and I see Belvedere closed. Absolutely. I mean, that, that was a tragedy. You know, the next time we bail the auto manufacturers out, we might get something for it, huh? Well, let's talk about the UAW contract fight right now, which right? is coming to a head in about a week and a half. We don't know what's going to happen with it. Um, I think the big three may well blink and give the UAW a lot of what they're asking for. They're asking for a significant pay bump. Well, they're asking for a 32-hour week with a 40-hour pay scale, right? That's a That's downright French. Uh, or German or any other country right. that's actually succeeding economically. Um, and so it's a good thing that they're asking for. But they're also asking for, in that set of contract demands, they're asking for something really interesting. And that is the right to strike the industry against plant closings. That's in their list of demands. And so the companies would agree that it's a legitimate reason to strike if they're threatening to close a plant. If the union had that, I don't think Belvedere would have closed. And I also don't think a lot of these other plants would close. It's a huge plant. I, I drive past that, excuse me, and it just breaks my heart. Do you know how many, you know how many UAW plants have closed since uh, 2000? Well, since in the 2008? Of, yeah. 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 It's, it's in the dozens. There are dozens of plants across this country that have closed, you including, know, by the way, Janesville and Kenosha. You know, obviously, I drive big cars. Most people don't drive big cars anymore. Here's one of the things that's sad as we talk about this evolution is they're not making they're not making a lot of union small cars in America. They're not making a lot of union union made small cars, assembled small cars. I know. They're going with it. The, what they're doing is they are embracing electric, right? Because they found out, oh wow, yeah, all but, those like the Trump voters but, want electric vehicles. But the Ford let's say the Ford Mustang assembled yeah. in Mexico. Yeah, I know. Well, and all these all these fiats and things which are sort of like a they're slightly American companies, right? You know. But like, because Chrysler is now part of some company that nobody—they don't even. What's that name again? Delantis or something. Yeah. Like, you know, they don't even know nobody the even name. Nobody even knows. It. But so the bottom line is that we have allowed a lot of the kind of heart and soul of this thing to fall apart. And here's where I think it's going to go the right way. Um, if this UAW contract happens, right? If they get the agreement that they're seeking, which is a huge deal. If they win this, and we ought to, by the way, all be passionate about it. It's why Bernie Sanders is already committed to go out on the picket lines and be there if they strike. If we get this, then they're going to be in a position with stability with the big three that allows them to start to really organize again. Not in the way that UAW and other unions have been organizing, like they do organize hospitals and community centers and stuff like that, but where they go back into their industry and where you really want to do it, we've got to crack the south, right? And the way to crack the South is to get us back into that politics, to get that PRO Act passed. If Biden's reelected, you have a House and a Senate, and you pass a PRO Act, that's going to clear the way for organizing in Southern and, and Auto Plants. In the 70s, we came very close to passing that, right? Oh. Just a vote or two away. Oh, no. Do you know, this is the painful thing. I, I'm somewhat of a historian of this stuff. I can tell you. You know who was a really good labor, pretty good labor president? Nixon. Why? Because he was afraid of unions, right? They were strong enough, and there right. was a, there was a reality. Do you know who was actually pretty close to an excellent labor president? 
Eisenhower. Right. Right. Um, union, you know, we had the highest union membership in America under Eisenhower, not under FDR. And so what you need to understand is that critical mass is what matters. You start to scare the politicians. If we can start to get significant levels of increase in union membership in this country, then it feeds on itself. Let me ask you this. Uh, how important, how important was the Teamsters victory for the huge. UPS workers? It was huge. And it's because of this new generation of union leaders that are coming through. Um, Sean O'Brien at, uh, at the Teamsters, uh, Fane over at, uh, at UAW, these other folks who are coming in, they are, they're not kids. They're not like, you know, oh, we need young leadership. These are people who've been around on the picket lines and on the front lines for a long time, but they've been thinking about how we need to do this. And this is a generational shift and what I can tell you is the leadership that you've got now, especially at Teamsters, these folks are actually committed to fight. And you know what happens? This is the amazing thing. They fought in that contract negotiation with the Teamsters. They said, here's our timeline. We need a contract by this day. If we don't do it, we're striking. We're not doing extensions. We're not making our members have strike benefits or stuff like that. If you don't give us a contract, we're going out in a major way and we are gonna to seek to do you it make you feel it, right? It's going to be your fault, blah, blah, blah. We want our members to have a contract on the day their current contract expires. UAW is saying the same thing. The UPS blinked. They said, oh, we can't handle it. They gave it to them. If the big three blinks, we really have a new model for major industry in America, which is that the unions have the upper hand, not the uh, not management. Sly, I can't tell you what a change that is. I'm going to ask this uh with every guest today, are you ready for the fight just to help Justice Janet Protosewitz? Oh, the fight that is coming. The fight that is coming. We're, we're gearing up for war here. No, you look, and this is this is what it's all about, right? Um, they Remember, everything that we've had in this conversation has been about the evolving nature of unions. They're becoming more aggressive, more effective. They're much more popular. But then the parallel fight is the political one. The political fight in Wisconsin is about the Supreme Court. If this Supreme Court can manage its affairs as the voters asked it to do, right, as gave overwhelming majority to these members, if they can do that, then we are gonna see a redrawing of maps in Wisconsin, and that's gonna create honest political battles. It's as simple as that. And then there's one other thing. But I mean, we will literally to, Act 10. Well, and obviously, Justice Protosewitz brought that up, and her probably the most open advocate for unions that we've elected on the court in well, a long somebody's time. Somebody's been on the line, yeah, right. right? Who's been on the picket line? So, but we, we have to have her back. You know, a lot of people are kind of oh, flipping. Yeah. Oh well, Evers will just appoint someone else. No, no, no we need to protect her. Well, that the instability of an effort to remove her, the instability that would create, right? Um, yeah, it might be answered by Evers appointing somebody else. I understand that. And frankly, that's the backstop on this. But but no, she's there because the people elected her. 200,000 vote big, margin. Yeah, 55-45. Yeah. This is a big deal. And, and here's what I will tell you. Are you ready for the fight is your question. Yeah. The simple answer to that is yes. And, and that fight has to be aggressive. It has to recognize, A, that Janet Protosiewicz is back has to be protected, right? She needs to be supported in this struggle. B, she needs to be encouraged, right? I don't want her to blink. I don't want her to back down. And, and... Um, As you know, I know her pretty well. You know her, and and she's, yeah. she's not going to blink. 
I don't think she will, but that's but she but you know what, Sly? I've seen great people really get the hell beaten out of them. She needs to have the level of support where there's not a question of that, that she will, you know, it's gonna be easy for her. And then the final thing is the hypocrisy of the other side needs to be called out. The fact well, the is, Capital Times ran a rather interesting story on Justice Rebecca Bradley the other day and her shifting position on recusal. Well, shifting position on everything, man. <laughs> if you can imagine this, that um, this in June she was attacking uh, Justice Brian Hagedorn for saying, you know, we don't need, in, unless it's an urgent case, we shouldn't be grabbing cases from lower courts and bringing them up. And she said, that's horrible. We should be able to do it as, you know, as we want. And she attacked Hagedorn for that. Now, just this last week, she was on the other side of the issue and she was attacking people for wanting to grab a case. So, Or at least to give a hearing for a right. case, she right? She is so hypocritical on all this. But her, her hypocrisy is writ most large on the issue of recusal. We would have a recusal rule on the Supreme Court today if uh, Justice but, Bradley but, and Justice Ziegler had supported But it. they're totally misreading the law and what Protosewitz said in her campaign. She did not violate that. No, of course not. It's a different game altogether. But, you know, this is, it's a PR game. And I got to tell you, I'm a little disappointed and a little concerned about some of the response from the Democratic side on this. Oh, one. Dave Cheslevich. Oh, it's but he not was, just him. I'm I mean, saying, let's face it, Cheslevich was a shitty mayor. Well, that's a that's a uh, <laughs> French way of saying it, yes. I believe. But um, I'm mixing Polish and French. I understand. Yeah. Well, what what I would say to you is this: I'm not too worried about Dave Cheslevich. I hate to tell you. Or Bill Leaders. I, I don't fret. I like Bill. I, I'm a bill no, defender. No, he's wrong on this one. He may be wrong on this one, but I'm I'm gonna I'm a bill defender. But I'm gonna just tell you this: that's not who I'm talking about. I'm talking about state legislators. I'm talking about elected officials, including the governor, who need to make it absolutely clear that there's no middle ground on this. There's no compromising on this. No. If if indeed there is an effort to impeach uh, Justice Protasiewicz, those members, those Republican members of the state Senate who advance this, who try to undermine our democracy, should face a recall. I was just telling Dylan that a couple minutes ago. And I know these people are afraid of a recall, but I can tell you this, when I look at those union numbers now, as compared to where they were 12 years ago, I don't think Scott Walker would have survived. So I, I think the mood of the country is changing. Well, the and, the, the, state and, is and the demographics in Wisconsin are, are changing away from the Republicans, which is why they're trying to do this. They're desperate. Absolutely. Right. And so when we recognize the political dynamics that are in play, when we recognize the political dynamics that are in play, what we see is this is a test for, for Democrats, right? They need to be in tune with the times. The Times say two-thirds of Americans want to be want to have a union, right? That 75% of Americans support strikes by unions. Democrats don't have to be cautious on this. They need to be aggressive. And and I, I really strongly emphasize that. I don't like what the Republicans are doing, but I still worry that Democrats will stand up as strong as they have to on this one. Well, let's give them a push. That's what it's all about, brother. John Nichols, thank you for coming to Labor Fest. I am so honored to be out here. And I can, if I can just take one uh, moment to say that you and I were out here doing this before the Ex uprising. Yeah. We did it through the uprising, we did it afterwards, and that's exactly how people ought to think about labor. You are either in solidarity with labor or you're on the other side. It is a which side are you on fight, just like Florence Reese said in that song. And the fact of the matter is I'm so proud to be with you because you've always known which side you're on. I feel like I'm in Harlem, Kentucky.
There you go, John brother. Nichols, thanks for coming on. More podcasts to come at SliceOffice.com. SliceOffice.com. Thanks a million. Bye-bye.